Good morning, everyone. If you want to stand with me, we're going to read the second Advent reading. We're going to be in Luke 1, 67, if you want to follow along in your Bible or behind me. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from what? From the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness and publicly, or sorry, wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You guys may have a seat. Hi, guys. Um, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm Sam. I'm the youth director, amongst other things, and uh, that is a, a big privilege that I have to serve the youth and the families of this church. So um, before we get into it, I'm going to pray for us. So let's do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is life, that your word nurtures us when we're hungry, that it's water for our souls when we are thirsty. And we just ask that your spirit would be present here this morning, that you would clear our minds and be uh, filled in our hearts, God. And that you would be glorified above all else this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God has a plan. This is something we say often, typically in interactions we're having with people who are hurting or grieving. Don't worry, God has a plan, or it's all part of God's plan, you'll be all right. God has a plan. September 28th, 2021, I was sitting in the back of this very room planning and preparing for the launch of Riverbend Youth when I received a text from my wife, Julie. The text read, hey babe, I need you to come home. And then another text came in quickly after that. Something doesn't feel right with Renly. See, at this point, Julie had been about 39 weeks pregnant and we were expecting to meet our daughter, Renly Blake, any day now. 
To this point, everything had gone perfectly. Renly and Julie had both been very healthy. We had zero worries and concerns about both of their safety. And it was a certainty in our minds that we would be joyfully holding our baby girl within the week. So I quickly packed up my things and headed home to pick up Julie. And when I pulled up to our house, she was already waiting outside for me, which told me that she was really worried that this was serious. She hopped in the car and we went over to the birthing center at St. Charles. And when we arrived at the hospital, they took us into an intake room very quickly to see what was going on. They pulled out the ultrasound machine and they wanted to look at our daughter and everything looked good visually. So, of course, they uh, turned on the sound to find her heartbeat. When they turned on the sound, Julie and I were holding our breath. And we were met with the worst possible outcome. Silence. God has a plan. In that moment, we quickly felt the weight and the pain of the reality that our daughter wouldn't be coming home with us. Everything we planned for, hoped for, dreamed for, and most importantly, everything we prayed for wasn't going to happen how we thought it was. The entire time while we were waiting to deliver her, I was praying for a miracle. I've never prayed for anything harder in my life. I was praying that all of this was some sort of catastrophic fluke with the equipment. And I believed full of hope and faith that in a few short hours, I would hear the cry of my daughter. But the time came and went, and once again, we were met with silence. God has a plan. If I'm honest with you guys this morning, these words haunted me for a long time because they tell a person like me in a moment of unimaginable pain and suffering a particular story. That this was God's plan. That what happened to Julie and I was God's plan. That it was his will. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, I I don't mean to chastise anyone or shake my finger at anyone who said this to somebody in a moment of hurt or pain or grief. I've done it too. I'm right there with you. No shame for me whatsoever. And I understand the intention behind this phrase. And honestly, we could spend all day talking about the providence of God, but that's not the path we're going down. We're going to save that for another time. But I understand the intention behind this phrase is well-meaning and good. But the reason I say this this morning is because that phrase in that season of deep grief and pain, was telling me a story that wasn't good and wasn't true about God's character. And if I chose to believe that story, I wouldn't be standing before you now. There's no way I would have made it through that. And if I believed that story, my view of God would have been that he is merciless and twisted and dark and even vindictive. And that is a polar opposite view of who God actually is. The God of the Bible that I know and I love, as we say it all the time, Exodus 34, he is rich in mercy, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the God that I stand on. And in that season, I've never felt more pain and unrest in my spirit and just an overall lack of peace like I did in those moments in the hospital or the months after losing Renly. But God, over time, was offering me a different story. 
He was working out a different story for Julie and for me. See, story is a powerful thing. We are all living in one, and we're telling ourselves one at any given moment on any given day, especially during the Christmas season. We are steeped in story this time of year. And with these stories, whether we are aware of it or not, comes a certain set of expectations that will shape our holiday season for better or worse. For example, just to touch on some of the stories we are steeped in, our beloved buddy, the elf, will be reunited and accepted by his father, and he's going to find his one true love. Scrooge, miraculously, will become a man of generosity and selflessness. And Ralphie, well, he's going to get that Red Rider BB gun, no matter the cost. And the Grinch, well, that's the best of all, because his heart's going to grow three sizes, all because of a little Christmas spirit and kindness from one persistent little girl. See, these are just a few of the stories we're living in this time of year. And this is the message for many of us that we've been steeping in our entire lives, that Christmas time is, quote, magical. And these stories resonate so deeply within our souls because it pulls on a deeper reality, a deeper longing within us, what Ecclesiastes 3.11 calls eternity in our hearts. And these stories draw everyone in at this time of year because they tell us things like, yes, forgiveness will happen this year. Yes, I can be reconciled with my family. So what? My kids are wayward and out there doing who knows what. This is the year by the power of Christmas magic that they come back into the fold. Yes, my deepest desires and longings will be realized. And you know what? I will find love and acceptance this year. And what better time for this all to happen than during the magic of the Christmas season? All of us are captivated by these stories. We're all drawn in because it pulls on our heartstrings. And I think the reason these stories get us is because we're built for something more. Our longings are meant for a bigger purpose. I heard one pastor say it this way. We are living in a house built by the kingdom of God. Meaning the world we're living in is supposed to stir up that longing and that hope within us, whether we recognize it as pointing us to God or not. We're supposed to all feel that question that we've all asked at one point or another. Is there more to life than this? Is there more to Christmas than this? Is this really it? And the problem with these Christmas stories that we are steeped in, and this isn't my moment, I'm not about to get on a soapbox, but it's just that these stories and movies that we're living in fall short on delivering on the promises they make for the longing of your soul. They tell us things like love, that guy or that girl is all you need. And if it's not a romantic love, don't worry, your family will never disappoint you. Joy, just find the right tribe that's going to accept you exactly how you are and you'll always be happy. And hope, manifest it in yourself, of course. You're strong enough. You've got this. Chase your dreams. You're talented enough. You're gifted enough. Bet on yourself. 
and peace, well, that's easy. You just have to cut out those toxic people that don't cater to everything you are and hope to be, and you'll finally be able to take a breath and have true peace. And all of this, the reality is, all of this might deliver for a moment or a season of your life, but will always leave you back at square one. Is this it? Is there more? Will anyone really love me? Will I ever be at peace? What do I hope in now? Pastor Matt Chandler says this, the promises of the kingdom without the king will always leave us frustrated, empty, and waking up to the realization that our hope has failed us. See, the emotions and things that these movies stir up are good, holy longings in a lot of the ways. Reconciliation, love, and acceptance aren't bad things, but what these movies and the stories of Christmas get wrong is that you can't deliver on them by yourself. And the whole reason why the Advent season is the start of the Christian calendar is because its purpose is to root our hope, the longings deep within our souls, and the ever-increasing peace that is available to those who are willing to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. So Jesus' birth ushers in the opportunity for true peace. Isaiah 9, 2 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light dawned. Timothy Keller says this beautifully in his book, Hidden Christmas, which I highly recommend. He says, quote, Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It does not say, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat them ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimist thinkers who say we can fix things if we try hard enough. Nor does it agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is instead, things really are this bad and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And notice that it doesn't say from the world a light has sprung, but upon the world a light has dawned. It has come from outside. There is light outside of this world, and Jesus has brought that light to save us. Indeed, he is the light. This is what we're celebrating at Advent. A light has dawned. And we all understand the profound lack of peace in our world doesn't take much. We just hop on Instagram or look at our our news apps and we're met with it. We have things like the tension in the Middle East with Hamas and Israel or the tension associated more often than not with the tribalism of things like politics or culture wars. But on a more personal note, a lot of us notice the lack of peace a lot closer to home in our own stories and in our own families, like it was for me with Renly. So the question is, how does the advent of Jesus bring real peace? 
How does he deliver real shalom? What does God have to say about the tension we find ourselves in day in and day out? If you uh, weren't here last week, Andrew kicked us off in our Advent series and talked about hope. And so if you want to listen to that, go back and hop on our podcast and check that out. But he gave us this picture last week of the reality of the context Zechariah was living in. See, Galilee and all of Israel was a hopeless and a dark place. And their desperation for a Messiah, their hope, it was quickly souring. Israelites were hopeless and starting to think that a Messiah would never actually come. This was the context of what Zechariah was living in. So we pick up the story of Zechariah's prophecy or Zechariah's song in some translations, which is a song of praise from John the Baptist's father. If you don't remember, let me remind you of what's really uh, happened so far in the story of the, in the gospel according to Luke. In the beginning of the chapter, Zechariah, who was a priest, was visited by an angel of the Lord who told Zechariah that his wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. And not only that, his name is to be John. And during this exchange, Zechariah questions the validity of what the angel Gabriel is saying to him. He says, essentially, how can this happen? Elizabeth and I are far too old. And because of this doubt, Zechariah falls mute until the birth of his son, John. Now, after this incident with Zechariah, an angel visits Mary and tells her she will conceive and give birth to Jesus, who will be called Son of the Most High, and whose kingdom will know no end. Fast forward a few verses from there, and we read about the birth of John the Baptist. And as soon as Zechariah agrees, uh, agrees with Elizabeth to name him John, he's able to speak again. And verses 68 through 79 are the first words we read from the mouth of Zechariah since he doubted Gabriel. Now, the first words out of Zechariah's mouth in verse 68 are what set the stage for this whole prophecy. And they give us a powerful insight into the character and heart of God for you and for me. And in my opinion, this is such an easy verse to skim over, especially in the context of where it is and Luke's gospel because we don't like to focus on the birth of John at all. It's all about Jesus this time of year. And we want to highlight more often than not the nativity scene and the birth of Jesus and the wise men and the animals and all the rest. I get it, rightfully so. But the birth of John and the hand of God in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a powerful story that we would be foolish to gloss over. Again, we get a crystal clear picture of the heart of God for his people. So Luke 1:68 says this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Do you guys catch it? You guys awake this morning? Did you catch it? I don't want you to miss this this morning. See there's one small phrase in this one verse that changes your entire life. It changes my life, your life, and the entire cosmos, and that is not me being dramatic. One small t- phrase changes everything for us. See, the phrase here is, has visited, or your translation might say, has come, which is the Greek word episkeptomai, which in the secular Greek just means simply to look at, reflect on, or visit which at first glance doesn't sound earth-shattering or life-altering, I will admit that. But this isn't a casual visit like we might think. Like for some of us right now, we're probably 
fast forwarding to Christmas and we're like, oh yeah, Aunt Kathy's coming to visit for Christmas. She's going to hang out for a couple days. Cool. Got it. Visit. Move on, Sam. We got it. But this isn't it at all. That is far too casual a view of what Luke is telling us here. The kind of visiting we're talking about here is like a doctor visiting the sick or the wounded. We see this word in other places like Matthew 25, which is the parable of the talents, where Jesus says, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Episkeptomai is there twice. We also see it in other places like James 1:27, which says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So if the world around us is telling us this story, if we're steeping in this story that's not coming through on its promises for peace in our lives, how does God actually deliver on this promise? Well, our culture says that peace is brought about by comfort, ease, and self-actualization. God brings about peace by physically stepping out of his comforts and the shalom of heaven to enter into our disorder, chaos, and darkness, to bring about the shalom of heaven on earth and in us. Now, some of you might hear that, and you might be in a very hard season where you are desperate for the peace of God to drown out the noise of the chaos around you. And if you're honest with yourself, your first instinct this morning is to be cynical. You're telling yourself things like, I haven't felt that yet or experienced it yet, so it must not be true. I've been there. This is just my life. Peace is for other people. I don't have that blessing. Heard that? You're asking yourself questions like, will this ever end? Will I always feel this way? Will this always be my life? And my challenge to you, if that's you this morning, if you're feeling a bit cynical, is to resist that. And not just simply resist it and allow it to have a seat at the table and just be in your peripheral view, but actually offer that up to Jesus this morning. And I'm willing to bet that Jesus will meet you mightily in that surrender. I know for me, this has been the exact challenge in my own story. I don't offer this challenge up to you casually. I know exactly what you're feeling. There's nothing that you, you could say that, that would surprise me. I've been there myself. I've asked all those questions. I've said all those things. It might come as no surprise to some of you, but all cards on the table, I'm naturally a cynical person. I call it realistic thinking, but apparently my friends who aren't cynical say that's just what cynics say. (laughs) See, cynicism is always right under the surface for me. It's not hard to dive into that pool. I'm constantly having to fight cynicism in the depths of my soul, and the reality is I think I always will. I don't think I'll wake up one day and be this magically joyful, chipper, happy-go-lucky guy. Maybe, I don't know. We'll find out. Ask me in a few years. But the one thing I've found and learned through the loss of Renly is that I absolutely cannot afford to be cynical about Jesus. I can't afford it. 
I can't be cynical about how he sees me. I can't be cynical about how he cares for me. I can't be cynical about how he moves towards me and meets me in the chaos and the darkness. And I absolutely cannot be cynical about his never-ending love for me. Neither can you. You can't afford it. See, the promise of God is that through all the disorder, chaos, and darkness, he will be with you. He is your peace, John 16, 33. Now, this passage that Brittany read for us a few moments ago is a prophecy about John the Baptist. But again, through this prophecy, we get a clear glimpse of what Jesus will be like and in turn, God's character. Zechariah's prophecy clearly shows us that God brings peace to those who are looking for it in three distinct ways that I want to highlight for us. This is verses 77 through 79. God brings peace through salvation, through the forgiveness of sins, verse 77. He brings his peace by offering tender mercy through visitation, verse 78. And he brings his peace by shining his light in the darkness. Now, with the rest of our time, I just want to unpack those really quick. Um, during the aftermath of Renly's death, I genuinely believed that I would never get my wife back the way that I had known and experienced her. I thought my marriage genuinely was going to be me being my wife's caretaker for however long we would last. That's how deep the pain was for her. It was ins insurmountable. And I share this not to expose my wife or critique her. I would never do that. Um, she was experiencing her pain exactly how she should have. There is no playbook for grief, and anybody who tells you otherwise is not being truthful with you. But I want to I show you guys something really quick, and I just want us to see how Jesus works in the darkest moments, just when you think there's no way out. So, this past Easter, this was Julie and I. Julie posted this picture on Instagram. Me, Julie, our son Jack, he was like five months old. That's us. Humble brag. All right. Um, <laughs> but what I want to highlight is what she wrote under that picture. This is what Julie wrote. Last Easter was our first without Rennie. My first Easter in my life where I didn't go to church, I couldn't worship. My heart was absolutely shattered into a million pieces. Hopeless, empty, angry, longing for heaven. But Jesus. Today I worship hands raised, tears in my eyes. Joy I truly never thought I would feel again. Life without Rennie will never make sense on this side of heaven. I'll never not ache for our girl, but when you know Jesus, this isn't the end. Death isn't the end of our story. Because of Jesus, I get to spend eternity with my girl, and I can't wait. She goes on to say, This Easter with Jack here and Renly waiting for us in heaven, I feel the weight of Jesus' death and resurrection more than ever before. The hope of heaven feels more tangible, so I worship Jesus even when it hurts because he is worthy. I worship him even when my life looks so drastically different than I ever imagined because he is worthy. And it's because of his grace and kindness that I'm here today. It's because of him that my suffering isn't wasted. 
Through it all, I can confidently say that nothing is better than Jesus. And I can't wait to tell my Jack guy all about how faithful King Jesus is. Do you guys see it? Do you see how Jesus works in the darkness? That phrase, Julie says it often, but Jesus, it's kind of become a catchphrase in our house between us. And what we mean by that, that's true for us today, is that because of the free gift God has given us in his son Jesus, who lived, bled, and died for us on the cross, who was gracious enough to reveal himself to us, and because Julie and I, and hopefully you do too, trust that truth, we're promised eternity with our little girl. And that brings us peace. The Greek word here for salvation is soteria, which means simply safety. What Luke is saying is you are secure and protected in Christ. There is an abundance of peace in the safety you have with Jesus. Secondly, we see the peace of God through his visitation, or his mercy through visitation, excuse me. And we already touched on this a little bit. I'm not going to go too in-depth on this one. But he visits us much like a doctor visits the sick, which makes me think of our time in the hospital right after we lost Renly. I um, honestly, I wish I could remember their names and, and their faces. They were all wearing masks. But I'll never forget the nurses we had in the hospital after we delivered Renly. They were so sweet and kind and caring for us, so much so that they even let us break a few rules. And if you remember, we're not that far removed from the COVID era of our lives. And they let Julie's sister, Lindsay, who at the time was living in Maui, come into the room with us when at the time it was only parents and me and Julie were the only ones allowed. And if you know Julie or Lindsay or anything about their relationship, you know what a big deal that was for them and for our entire family. See, God's tender mercy was fully alive and at work for us in those days in the hospital. We even had nurses staying longer just to hang out with us, pass their shift and pray for us and pray over us, which I'm confident in that that's not allowed. Luckily for us, there was no HR people investigating our room that week, but I digress. See, mercy in biblical terms, is an action. It's not just, I feel bad for you, or that really stinks, or I'm so sorry. It is that, plus the desire and willingness to help the afflicted party. See, God's, God's tender mercy brings him right into the throes of our disorder and chaos to help and sustain us. Last but not least, uh, God brings peace by shining his light in the darkness. And this is just my humble opinion. I don't have any sources to back this up or any data. This is simply from experience, so I could be wrong, and I might be wrong. That's okay. I'm willing to be wrong, but here we go. In my experience, one of the hardest parts about being in a difficult season, in a moment in a season of pain and suffering, Being in the darkness is interacting with people who want to say things to fix your attitude or your situation. People who think that they've got a magic silver bullet to make everything go away. People who think a quick, God has a plan, I'm praying for you, will make everything better. And in my opinion, this is the equivalent of saying to a person experiencing anxiety, well, 
have you just tried being less anxious? This doesn't meet the need of hurting people, of people being consumed by darkness at all, not even a little bit. But what does make a difference, though, is presence. Not like a Christmas gift, but physical presence. See, the most impactful thing that you can do for someone who is in pain is make sure they know you're in it with them. Make sure they know you're there and that you love them. There's nothing you can say that can take away their pain and suffering. But you can shoulder the burden with them. And this is exactly what Jesus did and what God does for us on a regular basis. He braves the darkness and is present to your pain and is with you through all of it. Now, the reality for us this morning is that I'm likely not saying anything new to you. You guys are all frequent churchgoers, and you guys all read your Bible on a daily basis, right? Right? No? All right. It's likely you guys all know this already. However, I think that for the majority of us, we're sitting here thinking, that sounds so nice. I could use some of that peace that he's talking about. And we're noticing that there's a gap from the things we know about God and read about God to the ways we actually experience him. And some of us this morning are desperate for God to show himself to us. We need a little bit of that light that I'm telling you about, that security, that safety. We need just a sliver of hope, and I know exactly how you're feeling if that's you this morning. But more importantly, the creator of the universe knows exactly how you're feeling, and that is no small thing. So all of this begs the question as we wrap things up and head towards our close, how do we obtain real shalom? How do we obtain real peace? I know in my own pain and seasons of darkness, I was willing to do anything to know God was with me and he was near to me. I was so desperate for him because in those seasons, that's all I had. That's all I could cling to. Nothing else would come close. And see, that desperation is not a bad thing. The desperation you're experiencing, that longing for more, is a holy longing. Allow your desperation to propel you towards Jesus. Don't let your desperation cause you to doubt God's goodness or to be cynical about how God sees you and cares for you. And if you allow your desperation to propel you towards Jesus, I'm willing to bet you might be surprised how he meets you in that. And he will meet you. There is a beautiful story later in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8 about a woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. That's just constantly bleeding. You guys all know this story. And simply in a moment of desperation after everything else had failed her, the text tells us she spent all of her living on doctors and exploring every avenue of healing and it didn't work. But she heard of this Jesus guy who was coming to town. And she had heard all the stories and the miracles and the ways that he was healing people. And she said, sure, why not? 
And she braved the crowd and fought through the disciples. And the text tells us that she touches the fringe of Jesus' garment. And she is instantly healed. In Luke 8, 48, it says, And he, Jesus, said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. See, if you allow your desperation to propel you to Jesus, you might be surprised how he meets you. I'm sure that that woman was so desperate, she didn't care about how Jesus or the disciples or the crowd viewed her. She knew she had a real chance of healing, and she went for it. But what she got was so much more in return. Yes, she was healed, but Jesus didn't just go on with his day. He met her with mercy and compassion, probably like she never had experienced. So how do we obtain real shalom? We don't. We don't obtain or earn anything. We simply receive it. It is always available to you. We receive it. Ephesians 2, 13 through 17 says this. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility And here it is, verse 17. And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Now, I never want to take a passage, and I realize this is a dense passage. I never want to take a passage or a verse and lift it and make it say something it's not. But the reality is we don't have enough time this morning for me to unpack this all like I might like to. But let me just say this about this passage. There might be some of you here this morning who have never considered for one minute or thought you needed the peace of God in your life. It's been of little interest or no interest to you. You would much rather do it solo. And there's others of you here who are listening to me talk this morning and think God's peace is only, the, on, is only on offer for people who are in crisis. And your life is pretty good. And that couldn't be further from the truth. See, the reality for all of us this morning is that the peace of God is the offer on the table whether you are far off or whether you think that you are near. Will you take it? Will you invite the God of the universe into the chaos and the darkness and the disorder of your world so that he might bring about your healing and your restoration? I promise you this, God is far more desperate to meet with you than you are with him. Will you let him? Will you notice him this morning? You see, his peace has the power to radically change your life if you simply put down your weapons of cynicism. Stop trying to white-knuckle it. Stop distracting yourself with things that won't actually heal you. 
See, in, in our culture, and when I say our culture, I don't mean just people who don't come to church because we're a part of our culture as well, and we are susceptible to this just as much as anyone else. But in our culture, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a tendency to press, to strive, to do it solo, or to white-knuckle it when life gets tough. And when things go sideways or life throws us a curveball and things are always going sideways and life is always throwing us a curveball, what do we usually say? We say things like, I I just got to get through the next couple of months and things will get better. This is just a season. When I meet this guy, when I meet that girl, when I get that job, when I move to this place, whenever this next thing happens in my life, things will be good. So I'm holding out hope for that. Or I just can't even think about this. I need a distraction. Or my personal favorite, time heals all. You don't need to do anything. Just ride the wave. And the further you get away from your incident, the better you'll be. Just be patient. You're good. But the invitation that God brings us through peace in context of the Advent season is you don't need to white knuckle it anymore. You don't need to distract yourself. The one true answer for the longing of your soul is that if you cling to Jesus, you can actually experience his shalom, his peace, here and now. So all the longings and the different emotions you're feeling in the season, point them towards Jesus. Cling to Jesus. I'll, I'll close with this. I actually mean that this time. I know I've said that a few times. I've been hanging out with Andrew too much. Sorry. If you've been around Riverbend for a little bit or any length of time at all, you know we never want to simply say the right things. We actually want to practice the right things. We actually want to connect and bridge that gap from what we know and read about God to how we actually experience him. And the reality is this morning, if I just prayed and closed this and invited Tony up and we closed this thing out, I would be doing you guys a huge disservice this morning. So I want to I do something really quick with you all. Just a little exercise, if you will, if you'd be so bold to indulge me. Here's what I want to do. Go ahead, if you're taking notes, if you've got your Bible in front of you, you have your phone out, whatever, go ahead and put that down. Don't all move at once. And I want us to just close our eyes for a minute. And while you're closing your eyes, if you feel comfortable, if not, it's okay. Maybe just open your hands in front of you or on your lap. And I just want you to notice and take stock and how you're feeling this morning. I just simply want to slow down with you. And I want you to notice in your heart of hearts if you are feeling connected to God or not this morning. Whatever the answer to that question is, is more than okay. We simply want you to notice it. And as you're beginning to notice how you're feeling, however that is, 
I just want to give you permission that whatever you walked in here with this morning, you have a moment right now to just simply release that. The posture of your hands in front of you is you are no longer holding on to those things that are burdening you. And you are telling your body and your mind that you are ready to receive what the Spirit might want to give you this morning. Some of you this morning are walking in and maybe you're, you're blaming God for how your life has turned out or the predicament you find yourself in. For others of you, maybe there's some unconfessed sin in your life that is just eating you alive or maybe it's actually at the point where it is deeply affecting those around you. Maybe you have a little bit of unforgiveness in your heart this morning. Maybe you're believing a lie about God or a lie about yourself, about how God sees you or cares for you. Now the word for us in this moment is just notice. There's no manipulation, there's no pressure. It's just you and God right now. whatever is weighing on your heart this morning, as you begin to recognize that, just give that over to God. Release that. Maybe you need to ask the question of what in what ways are you white-knuckling it? ways do you need to stop striving? What areas do you need, need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life? And the next thing I just want to do is I just want to do a little exercise where as you're sitting there with your hands open, eyes closed, I just want you to envision yourself in the throne room of God, however it looks. And I want you to notice as you are making your way towards the heavenly throne how God is viewing you. What is he doing? Is he smiling? Is he crying with you? Is he standing? Is he sitting? What is he doing? Most importantly, how is he moving towards you? this is the moment typically when we're doing this exercise where the, the cynicism tends to swell up. You might be saying, this is, I've never done this before. This is weird. I'm not going to participate in this. This isn't how I experience God. That's okay. You can try something new. It's not that hard. And if you notice some of that cynicism, once again, just lay that at the feet of Jesus as he stands before you. Next, as your hands are open, we're just going to simply ask the Holy Spirit to come. 
Not because we don't believe that he's not here, but because we wanna get our hearts and our minds and, and our spirit involved. We know the Holy Spirit's here, but we want him to know that we want Our desire is to meet with the Holy Spirit. And as you're sitting here, I just want you to take stock if you participate in this exercise. Notice what's changed in you from right now in this moment just a few moments ago. How has God met you this morning? How has God brought his shalom to you right now? In a few moments, we're going to continue in worship and the tables will be open for communion, you can feel free to gather the elements and take them back to your seat and we'll take them together. But we have a few more opportunities to worship Jesus this morning through song and through our bodies. If you need to sit in this tension you're in right now, feel free to do that. No one up here is going to be upset with you for sitting. But for the rest of us, we're going to worship Jesus. We're going to sing songs of praise and adoration. And we're going to collect the elements and take the bread and the cup together as one family. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you just fill us. All we ever want is your presence. All we ever want is for you to sustain us, to be the nourishment for our souls. pray that our longings this morning would be met and that our longings would always be met in the reminders of the Advent season, that our hope, our peace, joy, and love is only truly found and only, is only truly met in your son. And just as your son came as a little baby so humbly, he will come again one day in power and we can't Jesus, we love you. We're so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us. We're so thankful that we have an opportunity to shout praises upon you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The tables are open. You can stand if you'd like to join in worship.